being done is uh, those neighborhoods are actually being guarded and they're being blockaded and you can't get in without some form of credentialing. The Louisiana Baptist Convention is going through the process of credentialing folks who want to do disaster relief work. That's what we did Friday night here at Kingsville. We put that together at the last minute because it became available to us. But that credentialing includes a background check. It includes a photo ID with credentials that you are representing the Louisiana Baptist Convention. You get a sporty yellow hat and a sporty yellow shirt along in that deal. Uh, the fee is, is it $30? The fee is $30. If you need help with that, contact us. But let me tell you, uh, right at the very bottom of the picture here, if you'll take a look at that, um, that is a, uh, a sign-up. It's also on your sermon outline at the very bottom. That's the place where you can actually go and do the training online. You say, I can't make it to Natchitoches. You can go to that website. It's at the bottom of the back page of your outline. When you get to that webpage, it's a Louisiana Baptist Convention webpage. Go down and hit step one and start there. There's a series of videos that you need to watch for disaster relief mud-out training. There's about four videos in a row right there. You need to watch those. Then after you've watched those, that'll take about 40 minutes, 45 minutes of your time. After you watch those, there's another section where you fill in information, and they will do a background check, and you will pay a $30 fee online. And then they will run your background check. You'll have to upload a picture of yourself, a face shot or headshot of yourself, that will be on your ID. It has to be a recent, fresh one, not that great high school picture you've been keeping around. Uh, and, and, and you'll post that. Then they'll turn that into credentials for you, and you'll go by the Louisiana Baptist Convention office. If you need to know how to get there, Dale can tell you, right? Dale, Dale knows how to get there. His vehicle knows how to get there. So uh, you can go there, and you can pick up the hat, the shirt, and the badge, and that will allow you to get into the work areas And so that will be going on, some stuff we're going to be doing in South Louisiana, stuff we'll be doing in Texas, and then as God allows, some things going on in Florida as well, a lot of need. If you have questions about any of that, email us, talk to the staff, we'll help you make those connections. you have trouble getting on the web, come by the church, we'll let you use a computer here. Hey, food of the month is uh, canned meat things like ravioli and such. Uh, you have been so good to bless the hungry folks in central Louisiana. And so I want to thank you. Keep up the good work. This is our food this month. If you can just, uh, as you go into the grocery store, pick up some ravioli or those kind of things. You'll see in the bulletin different kind of items that you can get. Uh, tasty food. We, we, this is, looks pretty good. If I leave it sitting here, I think you'll get distracted while I'm preaching and someone might hide it. Uh, and I'll try not to go so long that this actually looks good. Okay, we'll hide it from you. Right there. Okay. Uh, and then the Apostles' Creed study, we're kicking that off. We kind of started last week with a little soft launch and this week. Now, it's really interesting. Anytime we do a study, I, I almost always have somebody contact back, either directly or indirectly, say, well, there's something in that study I don't like. Listen, okay? I'm never going to recommend to you a book written by men that you're not going to disagree with. There are no perfect men. Okay? So work with us on these things. Listen, I have trouble with what's in this book. Don't you sometimes? Be honest. I run into stuff in here and I don't want to do it. 
Okay? So I know that if a knucklehead like me runs into trouble with absolute perfect truth, I'm probably going to run into some trouble with the imperfect writings of a man. Okay? So stay with us. Work with us. One of the topics that's come up is the phrase, He descended into hell. If you will take the time to go through this book and attend and watch the video, you will see how evangelicals have defined that very different than how Catholics have defined that. Worth your time to find out what the meaning of that is. Okay? And so you say, will you tell me now? Get the book. Alright? Get the book. Go to class. If you're really stuck on it, give me a call, drop me an email. I'll be glad to answer the question for you. I hope that you'll get into a small group. It is a blessing for us. Okay. So, here we are. Starting a new section of Jesus, Friend of Sinners. I'm going to spend three weeks on this section. It's the story of the man with two sons. We used to call it the prodigal son story, but there's a problem with naming it the prodigal son story because the story was more about the other son than it was about the prodigal. And so it's the story of a man with two sons. Man with two sons. So as you turn with me to Luke 15. I've got to tell you thanks. You absolutely floored me and my family last Sunday. I am I'm speechless about all the sweet things that you wrote to us. The way that you encouraged us. You spoke to our hearts by pen and paper, and you talk to us about meaningful things and, and the relationship we have as shepherd and flock. and It's just great. And I want to thank you for all the time you took, the celebration, Rita, and the organization of all the food. And she just does these things so well. It was just a great joy for me, for my family, and uh, the sweet gifts you gave us. Uh, we're even actually, because of that, we're going to have a little getaway this coming week. Sherry and I are, because one of the Sunday school classes put together a little bed and breakfast thing for us. So, really excited about that. So, we're going to get away this coming week. Really, do- thank you all. I just can't say enough. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I love you. And it's such a privilege to be here and stand in this place. Let's jump into God's Word. This is a sweet and precious story. One of the things that has helped me with this story is reading a book along with it that kind of helped me retrain my thinking about the story. Because most of the time when I have studied this story, my my focus has been on the prodigal son. It's almost always, in fact, been on the prodigal son. And it really, um, and, and we get a lot of testimonies. When we do testimony times, a lot of times in Baptist churches, we get a lot of prodigal son testimonies. And 90% of the testimony is how bad we were before we came to Jesus. And, you know, we just kind of tear into that and we go on about it. And, and really, this does tell how bad this guy was. It's very explicit about it. But then, uh, then we, we tag on about 10% of how great Jesus was after that, and then we all go home. And This story is, is so much bigger than that. And so what I wanted to do is first introduce the story to you today. Lay out its surroundings. Next week, talk about the first son, the younger son, the one called Prodigal. And then the, the next week, spend on the second son, called the older brother. 
And I want to recommend a little reading to you alongside that I think will bless your heart. It's a book called Prodigal God. Prodigal God by Tim Keller. A good book. And basically what he does is he fleshes out this story in its original context and really helps us grasp what was Jesus saying as he unfolded this story. So, let's jump in. Here we go. The parable of the two sons, number one, is given in a particular context. So there's a setting. The setting is given to us in the first two verses. Okay, so let's look there. Luke 15, 1 and 2. It says, Now, all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming to him. So, so I love when we get the word all in a text like this because it means there's a whole bunch of folks. They were from all over. They were from all kinds. They were from all types. It doesn't mean that every single one was there, but it meant all were represented. All kinds, all types, all of the neighborhoods, whatever it was, they're, they're represented. And so it says now, all the tax gatherers and the sinners were coming near to listen to Him. They were coming near Him to listen to Him. So here's Jesus speaking. He is drawing these folks to Himself. They are seeing Him as a Savior, as a Messiah, as a teacher sent from God. They're understanding this. And so there's just this crowd And it bothers some people. So, letter A, Jesus is attracting sinners to Himself. That's what's happening. That's what starts this whole conversation. Jesus is attracting the people that offend others, that bother others. They're the ones that nobody likes. They're the ones that... Everybody talks about. They're the ones that are unwelcome, unrespected, unloved, undisciplined. You could put a lot of uns into their lives. These guys and gals were the outcasts, the dregs of the society. What we might call the undesirables. You might say the wrong side of the tracks. Wrong part of town, wrong upbringing, wrong background, wrong family heritage, wrong family tree. Whatever it is that makes people uncomfortable with other human beings, these were the representatives. And so they weren't invited to the religious festivities, the upscale parties. They weren't invited to those kind of things. They were looked upon with disdain, just disdain, disgust. When they walked by, people just shook their head. When they were encountered in the streets, in the marketplace, they were avoided. People, after touching them, would wash their hands. After brushing them, would wash their clothes. They were considered polluted, sinful, dark, 
broken. And so, Jesus is attracting them. He's the light. It's interesting, John 3 talks about Jesus being the light. It said that the light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. But all of a sudden, the light comes and the ones who said they were teachers of the light ran from Him. And the ones who were so drenched in brokenness and sinfulness, they came to Jesus in numbers. They flocked to Jesus. And so, Jesus is attracting sinners to Himself. But something else happens. Look further, it says in verse 2, And both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble among themselves. So, these people came, Jesus is meeting with them, and the Pharisees and the scribes, they're standing off to the side and they're saying things like, If this guy was a true prophet, he, he wouldn't have anything to do with people like this. That's a direct quote. If this man knew what manner of woman she was, he would not be letting her touch him. And so there's this grumbling going on where in their hearts they have contempt for those created in God's image. And they're treating them contemptibly. And so they're grumbling. They're complaining. They're sitting around having this conversation of, what kind of people is he associating with? What, what's he doing? Why, he can't be for real if those are the kind of people attracted to him. And so they're grumbling. That is the grumbling that sets off the story. It's the grumbling that causes Jesus to respond. So these two things are happening. They're attracted to Jesus. And the people that ought to be attracted to Jesus aren't. And they're complaining about the people who are. They're grumbling among themselves. So Jesus hears the grumbling, sees the grumbling, knows the grumbling, understands the grumbling, knows what's going on in the heart that's causing the grumbling, so Jesus decides to address it. Now, it's interesting because if you read the beginning of verse 3, you're going to get something kind of interesting about how Jesus sets it up. It says in verse 3 that Jesus told them, what's it say? This parable. Is that plural or singular? Help me, English guys and gals. Is that plural or singular? Singular. That means that everything from now until the end of verse 32 is just, how many parables? One parable. It has three parts. But it's just one parable. That means all of these are components of the same parable. Now that's important in understanding what's coming. Because Jesus is using, and this is number, this is letter C, for, for point one, Jesus is telling these two other many parables inside this one big parable as a setup. So write that down. It's, it's a setup. 
Jesus is going to set up the Pharisees and the scribes. By telling too many parables inside a big parable, so that the answers to the too many parables have to apply to the bigger parable. So this is one story. In fact, if you read it, you'll see the transition from verse 7 to 8 is just the word or. Okay, the transition, because it's still going. And then verse 11, the transition is, and he said. So he's not starting anything new in verse 8. He's not starting anything new in verse 11. He's telling one parable with three many parables inside because the one parable is about their grumbling. It's about the fact that they don't like certain kinds of people. That's what the parable's about. They don't like certain kinds of people. And they feel justified about it. Remember, just a few weeks ago, we have the Pharisee, the, the, excuse me, the, the lawyer standing in front of Jesus and wanting to justify himself said, can you tell me who my neighbor is? And Jesus went right for the juggler and picked the least likely neighbor for him to have ever thought of. And then last week we saw these two guys go up to pray and the guy that we thought was righteous from his appearance and his background was not. And the guy who, from his appearance and background, turned out to be the one who was declared righteous. So Jesus is setting them up on purpose. They're always trying to lay a trap for Jesus. Now Jesus is going not to trap them but to force them to have to answer a question. And we'll find out what that question is a little bit later. We'll find out what is it that Jesus is after. Let me tell you what the setup is like. Guy comes to the pastor. The church is in a, in a building program. And uh, they're getting ready to do some expanding and invest in some mission work. And a guy comes to the pastor, and he and the pastor sitting around. The guy says, "Preacher, if I had a million dollars, I'd give you half of it for this program." The preacher said, "Boy, that's awesome!" And he looked at the guy and said to the guy, "says Well, if you had a half a million dollars." Would you do it? And the guy said, man, if I had half a million dollars, Richard, I'd give you half of it for this, for missions and ministry. I'd, I'd do it. The preacher says to him, what, what if you had, what if you had a hundred thousand dollars? Would you be in? He said, preacher, I had a hundred thousand dollars. I'm telling you what, you know it. I would be in for half. The preacher said to him, says, well, what if you had a thousand dollars? Would you do it? And the guy said, preacher, you know I got a thousand dollars. You see, when you talk about doing something philosophically, if, it's easy to agree. Okay? If I had a million, yeah. What if you had a hundred? Oh, preacher, you know I got a (laughs) hundred. 
That's what Jesus is about to do to these guys. He says, if a woman had ten coins and she lost one, would she look for it? Oh, oh, Jesus, of course she'd look for it. Would she miss it? Of course she'd miss it as a tenth of what she's got. Would she sweep the house? Oh, of course she would, Jesus. Would she rejoice when she found it? Of course she would, Jesus. So he's setting them up with the first two stories because everybody is amening this preaching to the choir in the first two stories. And everybody's going, oh yeah, baby, we'll do that, we'll do that. It's all that ifing. Then he gets to the sheep, and a man has a sheep and he loses them. Of course, that's what every shepherd does. He, the sheep is lost. Of course he leaves them and he goes after. And everybody's amening and amening. And then Jesus turns it personal. Let's see how he does it. Number two, the parable of the two sons shares specific content with two parables that precede it. What is that specific content? Content. Well, the content is simple. First, it's the subject of having. If you go through these three parables, you'll see a woman had ten coins. So she's having ten. Uh, A shepherd had a hundred sheep. He's having a hundred. A man had two sons. He's having two. Okay? In, in each of them, it's the story of a relationship of having. Something that belongs. The coins belonged to the woman. The sheep belonged to the shepherd. The sons belonged to the father. Second, It's the subject of losing. A woman had ten coins, she lost one. A man had a hundred sheep and he lost one. A man had two sons and he lost one. It's about losing. It's about something of value that is separated and causes certain things to happen in the one who previously had, or the one to whom they belonged, the owner. It's also about being lost. Knowing that that coin, though the coin can't know anything, but that somebody's looking for you. Knowing that as a sheep, Somebody's looking for you. Knowing that as a son, somebody's looking for you. So there's being lost. And then, there's finding. She finds it. He finds it. He finds him. Something about it. And there's being found. The coin is now back with its owner. The sheep is now back with its shepherd. The son is now back with his father. Think of these. This is the layout. 
Jesus is setting them up so that story one, story two are part of a bigger story so that the answers in story three about the emotive aspect of the story should match the emotive aspect of the first two smaller parables. So there's having and losing and being lost. There's finding and being found. In each of the stories, there's this turning point. Being found. Being found. Being found. My coin was lost, but now I have it. My sheep was lost, but now I found it. My son was lost, but now he's alive. All of these are one truth. But they're not aimed particularly at the prodigal. That's where we've aimed these stories before. So that the prodigal, and I think that there's great truths for a prodigal, but the prodigal is just a character in a greater story here. We'll talk about him next week and see how the invitation to the prodigal is so beautiful. But the story is about a bigger truth. It's about a people who think that they have reason to devalue other human beings. That's what the story's about. It's about us and our tendency to look upon people and to think that we are more valuable more righteous, more worthy, more whatever, and to treat them with disdain or contempt. So the Scripture is very clear. So the final part of the content is the rejoicing aspect. Letter F. It's the rejoicing. In each one of the, the parables, there's this rejoicing you got the woman, she's rejoicing. She calls her friends. They rejoice. And then Jesus says, let me give you a snapshot in heaven real quick of the last time somebody got saved. The angels were having a blowout. Jesus is actually recalling maybe something that happened earlier that day when one of those particularly sinful people sat down at the table with Him and believed. And heaven roared! And the Pharisees grumbled. There's something wrong with that. And so Jesus is pointedly coming at us in the depths of our heart for the judgmental attitude we adopt through self-righteousness that discounts the value of people made in the image of God. And so, Jesus says there's rejoicing. The shepherd puts the sheep on his shoulders and man, he's got... 
coming home and he yells to everybody, hey everybody, look, 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 I got the sheep. Let's, man, let's rejoice. I found him. And then Jesus turns and says, rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents. It's driving it home. And so there's this story of having and losing, of seeking and finding, of being lost and being found. And there's a story of heaven throwing a celebration. And there's a story of religious people grumbling. And so Jesus is setting it up. But what is He setting up? That's the question. What is He after in this? Because each story has one specific point of contact that runs with all of the stories. That makes the stories one parable. It's not just the having. It's not just the losing. It's not just the being lost. It's not just the finding. It's not just the being found. It's not just the rejoicing. They're all components of something else that gets to the heart of the matter. So number three, the parable of the two sons shares a specific point of contact with the two previous parables. And this is going to set us up for the next two weeks. What is it? Go with me real quick to Matthew 9. And in Matthew 9, there's a statement about Jesus. It's found in verse 35 and 36. I've quoted it, the verse 36 part, and the 37 and 38 will go with it. Verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9 says, And Jesus was going about all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Just basic messianic work. Verse 36, And seeing the multitudes, he felt compassion for them. Because they were distressed and downcast or harassed and helpless is another translation. Like sheep, Without a shepherd. Now, a lot of times we get all kind of teary-eyed and misty-eyed when Jesus calls us His sheep. And He says He's the good shepherd. We kind of get this kind of pretty picture. And we, we, we get these good old Bible memory pictures from when we were in, um, in Sunday school. And there's Jesus with the lamb on His shoulders. And we love that. And there's Jesus. Have you all seen the one where He's leaning over in the crevice and He's got His little hook and He's pulling the, the sheep up who's falling over the crevice? Have you all seen that one? That one was in Sunday school also. And there's a lot of different ones that you'll see. We get all misty-eyed because we think that there's this really neat thing when Jesus calls us sheep. Let me tell you something about sheep real quick that everybody that Jesus was talking to already knew. And because we don't raise sheep, we don't know. Sheep are three things. Number one, they're stupid. They are. They are a dumb animal. They are. And when Jesus calls you a sheep, He's not saying you are the brightest bulb in the box. 
You say, wait a minute, is Jesus calling me stupid? Listen, the stupidest thing you have ever done is willfully sinned in the face of the living holy God. You will never do anything more stupid than what you've already done. You have sinned in the face of the Almighty. There's not a more foolish act you could ever do than what you've already done. You are guilty of hell as a result of it. That's how seriously stupid it is. So when Jesus calls us sheep, he's inferring a degree of dumbness. But second, he's also inferring something else. Sheep are insanely curious. They are the ADHD of the animal kingdom. Whatever is bright and shiny and moving and colorful and distracting, sheep go, oh look, and they just walk off. They just head off. That's why you get parables of lost sheep. Because sheep just wander off. They're like, what's that? And they go, I do that all the time. That's, I have no problem saying, Bart Walker is an idiot. And I am insanely curious. I am that guy. Flashy, shiny, distract me. I am just terrible. But sheep are that way and they'll wander off. And that's why I love to sing the song that says, Prone to Wander. That's me. I'm that dumb. I'm prone to wander. Prone to leave the God I love. That's me. And so that's true. And then the third thing about sheep is they're basically defenseless. So much so that some sheep, if they fall over, can't get back up. They are literally the first one they inspired the commercial, I've fallen and I can't get up. They just didn't get a little button to tell anybody. Okay? You remember that one? Sheep didn't get that. They fall over. They're like prime for, for, for the predator. The predator just walks up and goes, whoa, meal on a plate. And there's nothing the sheep can do. He kick a little, but he is just dead meat. So, When Jesus says the reason sheep need a shepherd is they're dumb, they're insanely curious and led astray very easily, and they're defenseless in the spiritual realm, that's us. That's us. And so when Jesus looked down on dumb, distractible, defenseless people, He didn't say, what a bunch of stinking idiots. He said, I have compassion. This is what encourages me. Because when Jesus looks down on this dumb, distractible, defenseless boy named Bart, He loves me. That's how He sees me. And all that I have been and all that I will be, that's His disposition. And so when Jesus encounters us sinners, He doesn't drop back and say, He is drawn in with compassion and commands His disciples to go to work in the harvest. And so, what is the point of contact? What is the thing drawing all these stories together that you and I need to take home today? What is it? 
And what is it we're guilty of not having that Jesus has? What is it we're guilty of not having that the woman with the coins has? That the shepherd with the lost sheep has? And the father with the lost son has? What is it? Well, this is it. Letter A. Feelings. You see, the the woman felt the loss and started to search. She felt it. I had a coin missing. Maybe it was from the array that she would wear as part of the decor of her day. Or maybe it was from the savings that was sustaining her. But she missed it. And she felt the loss. She felt the separation. And she, what did she do? She moved everything in her house. And then the shepherd felt. He felt the loss of his sheep. He felt it. And he left the 99 in safe pasture. And he tracked out. Because he felt the absence. He felt the departure. He felt. And so he went on a journey. And the woman felt when she found the coin and she had joy. And the, the, the shepherd felt when he found the sheep and he put him on his shoulders and he had joy. And he said, rejoice with me. You know where it's going. God felt my departure. He felt it. He felt me. That's the story. He's slamming the religious community because they don't feel the departure of humans from their God. But God feels it. And what is His answer? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. While we're standing around analyzing through our news channels and through our news feeds and through our internet feeds and through all of the info that passes into our heads and hearts and homes about how bad everybody on this earth is and how much better we are than them, God is feeling the weight of their departure. And his lesson is, so should we. To know that God is moved by my departure spurs in me an inexplicable emotion That he would feel. That God has time to feel. So the first part of this lesson 
is this. In the same way, the woman felt the loss and the gain. The shepherd felt the loss and the gain. God feels the loss and the gain. So much so that in the passage describing the nature of God, he said, We had to be Mary. Because this son of mine, who was lost, has been found. The son of mine, who was dead. We had to be Mary. This is God. We had to be Mary because the son of mine that was dead is alive. He's alive. That God would make Mary over me is overwhelming. And that he would expend his own son in pursuit of me so that he could make Mary is even more so. Every one of us today who know God through Christ as Savior and King should leave here today with such a knowledge of the merriment of God in our salvation that we are stirred to make merry over the salvation of others. We need to get busy. Bow with me. God, That you would make Mary over me it's incomprehensible because I know what you know. So have mercy on me and let me rejoice. And let us rejoice as you invite sinners to come to yourself through Jesus Christ. And as you save them through their faith in Jesus. And as you rejoice in them over their homecoming. I pray this in Jesus' name. Staying in an attitude of prayer for just a moment, heads bowed. 
kind of just paying attention to your own self for a second. The wonderful love of God to bring you home is through the work of Jesus Christ. He gave Himself as a sacrifice in your place, paying for your sin, being a just payment, a righteous payment, a full payment. Being raised from the dead in acknowledgement that the payment was sufficient. And He is inviting you to Himself. He's affirming that your dignity and worth are because you were made in the image of the living God. He is welcoming you because He loves you and He's inviting you into a personal relationship. And so I want to invite you to to come to Jesus and to believe Him. To turn away from your own wandering way and to be found and brought safely home. And celebrate. Maybe nobody's ever celebrated you in your life. But God will. He will make Mary. So I'm going to encourage you now to invite Christ to your life by the affirmation of your faith in Him. Pray with me. Father in heaven, I have sinned. I have wandered. I am the lost I'm the lost sheep. I'm the lost child. And it gives me joy to know you would look for me. Seek me. Find me. Bring me home. Gives me joy. I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And I confess that. I believe he was raised from the dead. That he is... God in human skin. I believe. And I trust Him now. Please, God, save me. In Jesus' name. Amen. As God leads your heart, would you stand?